Hi Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. And sorry, I'm, I'm multitasking. I'm pulling out my notes. How are you? <laughs> well, let me start us off today. Yeah. I have news. I'm so excited. Oh, yes, you do have news. I have adopted a new baby. A sweet angel. A new kitten. I know. He's not a full kitten. He's a big kitten. He's like a diet kitten. Yeah. Like, you know, not like the full version, but like a half flavor kind of situation. Gotcha, gotcha. Like a Diet Coke, not right. like you're going on the South Beach. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Here for it. Yeah, he's uh, a cute little guy. His name is Hugo, mm-hmm. as in Victor Hugo. Victor. Um, Victor Huey. Hugo, I don't know. We're still working on nicknames. He's super cute. He's got, um, he's kind of small. He's a smaller, he's going to be a smaller cat. Yeah. But he's lean. He's going to be agile. I think so, too. He's um, about eight months old. Mm -hmm. And he's completely white. I've never seen a completely white cat before. Yeah. um, Which is really exciting. Yeah. And he has no tail. Zero, like. A little nubbin. Two (laughs) percent. He's super cute. And you can tell, so he he did have a tail yeah. at one point. Yeah. No longer has a tail. Yeah. Um, but you can tell he used to have a tail, by the way, when he's excited, he kind of, and I'm like, like moving twitches. my butt as I'm talking about it, but he, <laughs> you can tell he had one. Yeah. Which is interesting because Oliver, um, my current cat, my existing, the one who's in my home, <laughs> also has no tail. <laughs> But was born with no tail, we think. Mm-hmm. So right. he doesn't do quite as much of the twitchy stuff. Right, right. He's also a little different. He needs a new friend. I think having um, having Hugo around will be good for him. I think so, too. Um, Someone needs to remind Oliver how to be a cat. And I think Hugo will do a good job of that. Do you think so? I do. Why does he need reminding? Because he, he doesn't do cat things. What is a cat thing? Like, anything... I mean, all Oliver does is sleep at this point. He doesn't I play. Am jealous. I know. He's living the good life. None of my cats have been huge players. Like, they've been like people and scratching posts and cat tree cats, but they, they have never been huge, like, play brother and sister play with each other kind of thing. Well, Leo and Oliver were so connected mm-hmm. and, like, played constantly. Mm-hmm. And since then, Oliver's just been pretty, you know, melancholy. So he's never been an only cat before, so he definitely... He needs a new friend. Absolutely. I'm so excited for you. We went... We went Friday. Yep, to the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, like way, way out there. Are you taking me here to murder me? (laughs) Uh, No. Nope, nope. Nope, I'm still here. But the the lady was very nice. You were able to... We met like 15 cats. There were so many cats in one place. I know. And Hugo was like one of the bigger ones. Mm -hmm. So everyone else was pretty tiny and little and scampering around. Well, and when you open the door... Oh, they all come bounding they just down the stairs. Swarm you, and you're overwhelmed, and your heart does little love palpitations. 
so freaking it's a cute. waterfall of kittens and they all sort of want attention but really just what? i think enjoyed running Hang down the stairs with each other oh yeah, yeah for sure they're like do you have food for me or and then we did not and they quickly lost interest oh yeah except I for hugo like, who kind of stuck around oh he was definitely into you he's like i think this lady might take me home yeah yep a lot of connections I was worried about falling in love with one of them and then being like, oh, Ray, I'm so sorry. We just found this cat on the side of the road on the way home. Yeah. Had to save its life. There's no other place for it other than our home. But that didn't happen, which I think is good. Well, there was a little black cat that almost followed almost your home, I think. It. If he had been just a smidge more interested. Right. It's a it's consent you know, right. it's like a two-way street here. I don't want to kidnap anybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm I not- know when you're choosing animals, you're really, like, it really has to be a two-way street. You yeah. You feel that connection. Yeah. I'm not sure how Dolly would feel about another cat in the house. No. my She I, really enjoys being, Oh yeah. you know, the queen bee around here. Well, and she's retired. You know, I adopted her as an adult cat. She had had multiple litters and... She was looking for a home to retire to. And at You're the time, her retirement home. I'm the, the old folks' home. We have dinner at 4 p.m. <laughs> every There's night. bingo on Fridays. I go to bed at 9 p.m., which yeah. is an actual fact. Um, I think it's great for her. Yeah, I think it is, too. She's living her best life. She's living her best life. So, And also, speaking of being old... I have noticed there's things that, like, I am being bothered by that normally in my youths, like, <laughs> I haven't been. I was at the grocery store picking up some stuff for to cook dinner for tonight, um, and I was leaving the grocery store, and this lady just, like, did that shitty thing where she just, like, moved her cart over to the side and then oh, walked I away from it. I hate that. I was like, Ugh. are you fucking kidding me? How old are we? Put your cart back. Either take it back inside or put it in the cart return place. It's like the people that like scoot it on top of the median. Oh, I hate that. And there's, it's the people who are so out of touch. Mm-hmm. Like they're, that yeah. somebody has to go get it. it. Drives me crazy. Clearly they have never worked in retail and had to go get it. Because or as someone been, who worked in retail for several years, yeah, that was the biggest pain in my ass was having to walk up and down and collect random carts and i really hate it when they block other parking spots with them when they leave it like in an empty spot right <gasps> next to where they parked what a shitty thing it sucks also it's a thousand degrees yeah no like one wants to be outside fact, hotter than the sun <laughs> it's so mean it drove me crazy and then yeah. i was like i think I mean, I'm also a compassionate person, I would like to think, but also I think it's me just growing old like a fine wine. Right, right. I once heard that um, the shopping cart test is a good litmus test test for, like, whether or not you care about uh, humanity and other people. (laughs) Yeah, because there are no rules, like... You know, there's no repercussions. If you... Cat? Rules are the Anna rules. (laughs) Down and back, we're racing for pinks. Sorry, Dolly jumped on my keyboard. Um, But yeah, like, no one's going to come out and say anything to you if you don't put your shopping cart back, but I might. Uh, 
but yeah so it's just a can you follow the rules of society and be a decent human being also how you treat wait staff is very similar like your server if people are mean to people in the service industry in general but also people that are dumb enough to be shitty to people handling their food oh absolutely what yeah i also have been really irritated with like walking downtown and seeing the way that people treat homeless people and mm-hmm. it everywhere but like i've been trying to practice just making eye contact even if i don't have any money and just saying you know have a nice day i'm sorry i can't help or something like that and recognizing other people's humanity because like the moment that we forget that we're not all actually connected it's really easy to start treating people like shit oh absolutely yeah, nobody is better than anybody. Exactly. And if you think that, then you must be miserable. Yeah. I. Um, it was really sweet. I was hanging out at a brewery downtown, and um, one of the people I was with knew a homeless man who was walking past... Or a, uh, man experiencing homelessness. Yeah. There was a man who is experiencing homelessness who was walking past us, and he's always hanging out on Elm Street. Um, and the person I was with knew him by name and called him over and was like, Hey, here's, you know, leftover food that I had from dinner, like a to-go box. Mm -hmm. Um, and was like, I have $5 and the guy, you know, they obviously knew each other. They'd had several conversations beforehand. And I just had this moment of being reminded that humanity is good. Mm -hmm. So put your shopping carts away, treat your wait staff nice. And that's right. D bad. Yeah. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. All right, girl, you ready to jump into some psychology and history? I would love to. Awesome. What you got? Um, Well, you know who we haven't talked about for a while? Rosie O'Donnell. (laughs) Facts. And also our good friend, Hippocrates. Oh, Hippocrates. I actually feel very connected to him at this point. I do, too. Our roots are built. Yeah. I really... um, Well, as a reminder, for those of you who have not listened to the archives... Hippocrates is simultaneously our favorite and least favorite guy. He comes up a lot. <laughs> Hippocrates was a Greek physician in the age of Hercules. Hercules, not Hercules. But I'm not sure that that's correct. But in classical Greece. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel like we need to just write an introduction for Hippocrates and then copy and paste it each there we time. Go. So that we don't have to keep having the same conversation about Hippocrates. I mean, he, he basically was like the smartest guy around. Yeah, he was for a long time. He had a lot of ideas. Uh huh. He um, was a contemporary of like Plato and Aristotle, right? NBD. Yeah. Um, and then people, you know, valued him enough to write it down, as well as he could write it own his own shit down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He uh, lived from 460 BC to 370 BC, and is considered the father of medicine. Mm-hmm. Again, think Hippocratic Oath, uh, Wandering I st- Womb. I still have memories of recording our very first episode and you saying Hippocratic Oath. Yeah, that's what I think every time we start talking about Hippocrates uh-huh. is the Hippocratic Oath, uh-huh. because that's, you know, where I heard about them first. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> you literally teach me something every single week. For, sh- for real. For I real, love- real, not for play play, for sure. <laughs> You're real sweet. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You teach me stuff, too. Okay. <laughs> Um, so today we're going to talk about another medical theory that our dear friend Hippocrates developed. Okay. This is the theory of the four humors. 
also called <gasps> humorism. You also brought this up in the first Did episode. I? Yeah. And you and I was trying to figure out what the fuck you were talking about. Oh, so today I'm going to tell you what the fuck I was talking yes! about in the first episode. <laughs> Four months later. <laughs> for those of you who are with us for the first episode, thank you for still being here. I will thank answer all of your questions Jesus in due Christ. time. Thank you so much. Yep. So, humorism was a study of medicine deal- detailing hypothesized um, workings of the human body. Uh-huh. Basically, so, he's, like, obsessed with the, with the bog. Correct. Got, well, the he's a physician. The bog is his jam. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it's his wonderland. I get it. <laughs> Basically, the four humors are blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. What the fuck? That is not at all where I thought you were going with this. How are those humors? That's not funny. Um, I will. <laughs> so we're going to get into uh, the background of the word humor as well. Okay. So hurry up. Because I need tuned. to know. Hippocrates believed that these four humors influenced the body and emotions. The goal, ideally in life, is to have balance between all of your bodily liquids, which are the four humors. Um, and it was believed that diseased happen disease happened when imbalance occurred between the humors classical medicine believed you could balance your humors by changing your diet lifestyle occupation climate or medicine and quote balancing one's lifestyle was central to one's emotional well-being okay so making changes can make you feel better exactly i get it (laughs) yeah hippocrates describes his theory in his writing on the nature of man as quote the human body contains blood phlegm yellow bile and black bile these are things that make up its constitution and cause its pains and health health is primarily that state in which these constituent substances are in the correct proportion to each other both strength and in quality and are well mixed pain occurs when one of these substances presents either a deficiency or an excess and is separated in the body and not mixed with the others. Mm. Okay. Hippocrates is a complicated guy. Yeah. So what I'm hearing so far is like, if you have a ton of phlegm, if you're over indulging in one of your four fluids, correct, then something's out of whack, obviously. And you will have negative repercussions on your health. So it's, it's those as symptoms that are acting. So when you have extra phlegm, you don't have extra phlegm just because something's causing it. But he doesn't understand that quite yet. So the way that you just described it was chicken before the egg. He has egg before the chicken. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Okay. To me. Yeah. If you don't we'll, understand at home. We'll expand on this. Please do. Because I have eight more pages of notes. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're here for. Okay. So, quick side note, in Western society today, we seem to struggle with understanding this mind and body connection. One thing Hippocrates seemed to understand was that they're truly all connected. So, he believed that your emotions could impact your different liquid levels, Mm -hmm. um, and your liquid levels impact your emotions and your ability to um, function well in the world. Got it. So it's not just about like eating well and not, you know, hawking up loogies. It's <laughs> Yikes. more it's more about making sure that you are um, you know, calm and thoughtful and um 
how the different pieces of your body impact your mental health and mm-hmm. physical health. Mind and body. Correct. ASMR. Again, with the ASMR. Mm-hmm. So some authors suggest that concepts around the humors may have actually originated in ancient Egyptian medicine or in Mesopotamia. I fucking believe that. For sure. But became systematized by Greek thinkers like Hippocrates and Alcamean of Croton, who came after Hippocrates and developed a theory a little bit more, and Galen, who, who is considered to be one of the most accomplished of all medical researchers of antiquity. Mm, Alcamean, Croton, and Gaylord. Got it. Nailed it. <laughs> Galen is actually who we're going to probably end up talking about the most. So Hippocrates was the first, and he was like, hey, there are these four humors. And then uh, Galen comes like 300 years later, mm-hmm. 200 years later, what, whenever the fuck what he comes time? around, <laughs> and develops it a little bit more. And that's where we get into some really interesting personality stuff. Oh. So... Additionally, the ancient Indians developed uh, Ayurveda or Ayurvedic medicine, mm-hmm. which has three doshas and sounds fairly similar. And we will come back to that in a future episode because Ayurveda and yoga are deeply connected and also fascinating. Mm-hmm. So we're not just talking about ancient Greece. There's also connections in other Eastern religions and other parts of the world. Got it. So just a reminder that because Hippocrates is credited with a lot of this, there are roots across the globe. Mm-hmm. So what are the four humors? We're going to do a deeper dive. Okay. Um, I'm also curious about the intersection of people who are bothered by the word moist and those who are going to be bothered by phlegm and bile, because I'm pretty sure that that Venn diagram is actually a circle. I don't understand the moist thing as I understand it as a concept, but as a word, it doesn't bother me. But uh-huh. like spit as a actual thing is really, really bothersome. I know we've talked about that before. Right. As being my kryptonite. But so the phlegm thing, not super duper stoked about learning about, <laughs> but I will allow it. <laughs> well, uh, I got some bad news because the first half of our episode today Perfect. is going to be lots of phlegm and Let bile. Take a sip of my jade IPA. Please. Okay, so back to the four humors. The word humor comes from the Greek word hymos, which literally means juice or sap, but metaphorically it means flavor. Mm. So that's fun to think about. Yeah. The word humor as we know it now developed around the 16th century and initially denoted an unbalanced mental condition or mood. So the idea of... uh, something being humorous or someone being humorous was to say that you believed their humors to be unbalanced Mm. and it was around mental health oh wow no well i hate it and i love it at the same time i know like i mean there's almost there's such a little there's like a shoestring of a connection at this point Mm -hmm. for people's modern day understanding of something or someone being humorous um But it's interesting to know. Right. I love learning about words. Okay. So blood is the first humor that we're going to talk about. Um, I can can go with blood. Blood doesn't bother me. I'm so glad to hear it. It's not actually the blood that we conceptualize blood, though. It's a very thin red liquid that 
is a subpart of blood, which we will talk about more in a what? second. <laughs> so the blood that we understand blood to be mm-hmm. um, is like a thicker substance. Yeah, she thick. Right. Hippocrates, when he talks about blood, is talking about a very thin liquid that happens to be red. Okay. Where is it located? In the blood. In the thick red blood. In the thick red blood is the thin red blood. Correct. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. So I just need you to hang in with me for like a few more paragraphs. I will. You're doing great. You're doing great. We're getting through this together. (laughs) Uh, So then we have black bile, which is also called gall and was thought to be secreted by the kidneys and spleen. There's a theory about what black bile could be, because if you think, like, in your body, you should not have anything that resembles black bile. Okay. Um, But basically, they suspect that it's, like, a clotted type of blood. I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Checks out, right? Uh Uh-huh. The face I'm making right now is (laughs) not cute. (laughs) You're, like, squinting at me, like, do we have to keep going? I know you can only see half my face, but... Mm-hmm. I see the squinty, mm-hmm. squinty face it's happening. Then we have yellow bile or collar, which was thought to be secreted by the liver. And this is basically like what you might throw up if there's nothing in your stomach. Right. Like it's a very thin yellow bile. So that's great. Hope you're not eating <laughs> while you're listening to <laughs> So sorry. We should put a disclaimer at the beginning of Mm -hmm. this. Maybe don't eat until you're half. Yeah. Um, And then the last one is phlegm, which is associated with snot. And it's what you get in the back of your throat when you're Uh sick. We know what phlegm is, Carrie Ann. (laughs) I just really wanted to spell it out for you just in case. Oh, no. Okay. So we're going to fast forward through time for just a second to explain the thin blood thing. Yeah, please do. So... Robin Freyus is a Swedish physician, and in 1921, he suggested that the four humors were based upon observing blood clotting in a glass container. Apparently, when blood is left undisturbed in a glass container for about an hour, you can see four layers. Um, I have not tested this to verify, but I have no reason to doubt Dr. Freyus. Dr. Frankenfurter. (laughs) Apparently, a dark clot forms at the bottom which is thought to be the black bile. Are we still going to be friends after this episode? <laughs> Probably not. We're going to have to <laughs> close the podcast, I think. No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Uh, then just above that is a layer of red cells, Okay. which is like the red blood. So when your blood clots, you still have like a lighter layer of red uh-huh. kind of that hovers above it. Above that is a whitish layer of cells. This is thought to be the phlegm. And the top layer is a clear yellow serum or the yellow bile. So all of all of these four humors exist within the blood. According to the Swedish physician. Gotcha. Again, we have not recreated this, so I cannot verify. Mm-hmm. Well, the answer is that it doesn't, but... Right. The answer is that Hippocrates lived in BC and this continued for a really long time and people believed him. Right. So... That's what we're, this is just our jumping off point. But thanks to public education, we don't. We know better now. Right. So throughout (laughs) time, this theory continued to develop and created four distinct temperaments based on the humors. 
So by this time, it was organized around four elements. So earth, water, air, and fire. Wind, hot, earth. Captain Planet. I thought you were going with Avatar. I was like, oh, that's a fun reference. Captain Planet's even better. Yeah. Yeah. I miss Captain Planet. God, that was a good Mm -hmm. show. Okay. Uh, Four qualities being hot, cold, moist, and dry. I'm real sorry to anyone out there who's struggling through this. Mm -hmm. And then the four humors, which we've covered, are blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. So they believed that taking all of these different qualities, um, you could determine the behavior of all created things, including Mm -hmm. the human body. To have any one of these in access would impact your personality, your body, and your health. Um, And you may be predisposed to having one of these in access, which could show up in your physical appearance. Mm. So we're going to go through and lay out each of the four basic categories of human personality and temperament, according to um, starting with Hippocrates up until like the 18th century. Oh, I'm ready. Or 1800s. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So first we have melancholic. Uh. The humor associated with this is black bile. The element is earth. The season is winter. Old age. Uh, qualities being cold and dry, and they believed it originated in the spleen. Wow. So this is like a full, well-rounded diagnosis. Correct. (gasps) Like, you could be melancholic would be an accurate diagnosis of either um, an issue or just your personality. They could believe that you are a melancholic person. And what are some personalities, like... I'm so glad you asked. Yes, thank you. So the first three that I'm going to cover are fairly negative, and I'm sorry for that. Um, But people who are melancholic are often despondent and gloomy. The word melancholy comes from the Greek words for black bile. So that's (gasps) fun. Wow. Yeah. Depression was also associated, or often, depression was often associated with an access of black bile, and they believed it was secreted by the spleen. And remember, they also believed that this impacted the way that people looked. So melancholic people were thought to be more likely to have black hair and eyes. Oh, weird. Think about the implications of believing yeah. that someone would be more likely to be depressed or melancholic if they had black hair or black eyes. Mm-hmm. Like racial stereotyping, mm-hmm. negative, you know. And he's from Greece, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, so Mediterranean. Yeah, so doesn't everybody have dark hair and dark eyes? Not everybody. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, the second is phlegmatic. The humor is phlegm. Mm-hmm. The element is water. It's associated with season, adulthood, qualities being cold and moist. And uh, they believe it originated in the brain. Mm-hmm. People who are phlegmatic are calm, cool, unemotional, and reserved. Phlegmatic people were considered to be low-spirited, forgetful, and thought to have white hair. (gasps) You just described me. Did I? Did you? Oh, we'll get to that in a minute. But do you feel like this one really resonates for you? Well, you just, just, I mean, a little bit. Calm, cool, unemotional, and reserved. I mean, I have low spirit. You're not low spirited. No, I have I have spirit, but I have <laughs> light hair. You do have blonde hair. Uh, caloric. The humor associated with being caloric is yellow bile. 
the element is fire. Mm -hmm. So we can start to see like some personality stuff maybe coming in Mm -hmm. as we think about um, different elements and seasons. The season is summer. The age is childhood. Qualities are hot and dry. And they believe this one originates in the gallbladder. Oh, wow. People who are caloric may be uh, hot-tempered. They could be anxious, decisive, and aggressive. And they may have greenish or yellowish-toned skin. So again, like thinking about colorism Mm -hmm. and stereotypes that could come from... Like if you really bought into a lot of these theories... Having like an olive skin tone. Right. And Mm -hmm. making, you know, snap judgments about people based on the ways that they look. Which is not anything that we do today. (laughs) And then the fourth is sanguine. Sanguine. Penguin. Penguin sanguine. What's the penguin do? Uh, They are associated with blood. Mm -hmm. The element is air. The season is spring. The age is infancy. Qualities are hot and moist. And the organ is the heart. Um, People who are sanguine are believed to be courageous, hopeful, and amorous. They're believed to be friendly and frequently joke and laugh, and their body appearances are rose-tinted, and they are said to have pretty skin. Well, that's, like, way more positive than, than, than the like other three. The yeah, others. I know. I'm so sorry. Um, and this is just from one article. So Shakespeare frequently referenced the humors mm-hmm. in his writing. So a lot of this research was not just from Hippocrates in ancient Greece, but even up through Shakespeare's time, which again, I heard about the wandering womb in a Shakespeare class with the cute teacher. I also heard about the four humors in that same class. So, well, and I talked about it too in the Shakespeare episode. Oh yeah. With, um, the angel and the devil, just kind of like categorizing personality traits for the characters. Good point. Yes. So similar here, like it's, dichotomous thinking it goes back to that black or white thinking bloop, bloop, bloop. yeah everything is connected it's what we're finding out more and more with every single episode mm-hmm. so hippocrates wrote a famous hippocrates wrote a famous article called airs waters and places that describes the influence of geography on the body and its humoral makeup other things that may influence your hum- humors again include food where you were born when you were born and the climate Also, some practices such as bloodletting and applying hot cups were used to try and balance the humors. For example, if someone had a fever and was sweating, they were considered hot and wet. Makes sense, right? So, therefore, they would be given substances that were cold and dry to balance out those different humors. Like a dry Chardonnay? (laughs) I think they were thinking like a... Like a leech to the skin? (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, you know... A cucumber, like a <laughs> something cold, and <laughs> well, it's only cold because we put it in the fridge. They didn't have refrigeration. They definitely had some form of refrigeration. Yeah. Some sad person's job was to put like ice blocks into a <laughs> other room. Some dry ice, yeah, exactly. cold and dry, cold dry and dry. Cool. Uh, chamomile was often used to decrease heat and lower excessive bile. Arsenic was used in a polis bag. P-O-U-L-T-I-C-E. Okay. Bag. You know, some guys just can't hold their arsenic. (laughs) Uh, And it was expected to be able to draw out excess humors that lead to the symptoms of the plague. So keep in mind, like, this started way before we had any 
understanding of the body, and then it goes up until like the 1800s. Mm-hmm. So several, you know, plagues happened at that time. Oh, for sure. Lots of shit. So this yes. was put on the skin to draw out the toxins. It Correct. Sounds like yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The theory of humor, the theory of humorism, continued until 1858, when Rudolf Virchow, nose reindeer, <laughs> published work that laid out um, the theory of cellular bias of pathology. In an article by Psychology Today. Uh, there's a quote that says, We may acknowledge that many diseases have multiple causes in today's theory, but in practice, disease specificity tends to influence us the most, with genetics being the primary specific cause. Unfortunately, thinking about it this way, especially when it comes to mental health, is not always very effective because no disease exists in a vacuum. There are always a host of contexts that shape the outcome. Perhaps thinking of a disease more in terms of balance would be useful. Maybe what we all need is a more balanced society. So that's what they were trying to create was balance um, within communities, within individuals. And I think that this quote really stood out to me because we now focus so much on treating a specific issue Mm -hmm. without looking at the body as a whole. Yeah, holistically. Exactly. Or the society as a whole. Yeah. It's a metaphor. Everything's a metaphor. Mm-hmm. So at the end of all this, I decided to take a quiz, which we will link to this episode, so that you can learn which of your humors are in line or out of balance and which um, you know personality or temperament you uh, lean towards. Mm-hmm. I also shared this with you. Yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. I did take it. I appreciate that. So I'm going to share my results with you, and then will you share your results with I, me? Of course I will. Excellent. Now that I know what they mean. Yep. Kind of. So my results were, uh, my top one was sanguine, and the second one was phlegmatic. Wait, let me look at mine. So quick, I mean, I'll read you what it said specifically, but sanguine was like the courageous, hopeful, amorous. Phlegmatic is uh, calm, cool, unemotional, and reserved. So do with that what you will. Um, And it says... Quote, the sanguine temperament is fundamentally spontaneous and pleasure-seeking. Sanguine people are social and charismatic. They tend to enjoy social gatherings, making new friends, and tend to be boisterous. They're usually quite creative and often daydream. However, some alone time is crucial for those of this temperament. Sanguine can also mean sensitive, compassionate, and thoughtful. Sanguine personalities tend to struggle with following tasks all the way through, they are chronically late and tend to be forgetful and sometimes a little sarcastic. Oh, my God. Check, check. Yeah. Check, check, check. Often, when they pursue a new hobby, they lose interest as soon as it ceases to be engaging or fun. They're very much people persons. They're talkative and not shy. That one's not true. I'm a little shy, but I think it's anxiety. Mm-hmm. Sanguines generally have almost shameless nature, certain that what they're doing is right, and they have no lack of confidence. I have a lot of lack of confidence. Mm. Everything else I think checks out, though. Yeah, that Um, sounds like you. Yeah, so I think it also changes a little bit based on your mood. Like, when you're taking the quiz, it's all highly subjective. Oh, for sure. Um, And I was feeling really good when I took the quiz. Yes, you were. So, that's mine. What'd you get? I have melancholic. Okay. What was your second one? Sanguine. I figured that you would have sanguine pretty high up in yours. So sanguine was 15, melancholic was 17. Okay. I took it this morning. Me too. 
Did you? Look at that. Yeah. So what does it say about melancholic? Oh, okay. Um, your temperament... Oh, so I only took a screenshot, so we might not get the whole thing. Your temperament is melancholic. The melancholic temperament is fundamentally introverted and thoughtful. Melancholic people often were perceived as very odd or overly pondering and considerate, getting rather worried when they can be on time for events. Melancholics can be highly created and creative in activities such as poetry and art. Mm. Oh, and can become preoccupied with the tragedy and cruelty of the world. Often they are perfectionists, which I don't, I'm not, I'm definitely not a perfectionist. I have a lot of perfectionist tendencies. I think we got ours flopped, maybe. I think so, too. Like, the more I'm hearing yours, I'm like, wait a second. They are self-reliant and independent. One negative part of being a melancholic is that they can get so involved in what they are doing, they forget to think of others. I don't know that that last line describes either of us. Mm-mm. But ultimately, I think we may have gotten ours flipped by accident. But I think we're both like a combo. Little shrimp basket combo, little sanguine <laughs> melancholic combo. Well, I think Hippocrates would be proud because I think that means we're balanced. Oh. Like we have, most of mine were pretty close, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't one that really stood out. Well, when I felt like I was answering the questions, it's like one of those things where it's like, and this was not a specific answer, but it's one I can remember or relate to. Is like, do you enjoy being like working alone or working in groups? And they ask you the same question in a different way. Yeah. Again, and you're yeah. like, wait, did you know. just do ask you, me this? Right. <laughs> what did I say last time? Right. <laughs> Is it different now? <laughs> yeah, and I think also like I've been really social lately, which we've talked about recently. Um, so I think that some of that is playing into. Maybe my results is I'm leaning into this humor a little yeah. bit more than I previously have. Well, girl, girl, get your girl. Girl, get your it. girl. Do the damn thing. Yeah. So I just find all of this to be really interesting. And I love um, that it continued for such a long time. Oh, yeah. Like, They're like does anybody have any better ideas? <laughs> that's like 2,000 years. Yeah. Wow. Like 400 BC to 1858. Yeah, 1858 AD. It's a long ass time to believe like this one overarching thing for how brains and bodies and everything is connected and works. Wow. Wow. So there's an overlap in my in my story as far oh, as like time frame goes okay so there might be some intersection i mean i gave there. you two thousand years to work yeah with. for real so if you were anywhere in there i think we could find an intersection yeah. we'll see we'll see yeah so what do you or should we take a break let's take a break really quick and when we will come back we will talk about our history portion great So today we are going to be talking about Sally Hemings. And we've all heard about Thomas Jefferson. Familiar, yes. He wrote the Declaration of Independence. Lived in Monticello. Lived in Monticello. He was the first Secretary of State, the second Vice President, 
the third president of the United States, and he's also featured in a musical called Hamilton. I was about to say, I do remember him showing up next to Lin-Manuel Miranda. That's right. We are going to be talking uh, and discussing part of his legacy that most don't know about, his lineage that would be denied for years until DNA testing proved otherwise. Oh. I'm guessing that this has something to do with Sally Hemming. Yes. Sally Hemings was born in 1773. Her mother, Betty, was enslaved by a man named John Wells. John Wells had been married several times, and all of his wives had tragically died, which sounds like super, like, serial killer shit, but then also it was, like, the 1700s, so everybody just, like, dropped dead for whatever reason. Right. Because For whatever plague was going around at that time. (laughs) Um, So he had children from his previous marriage, um, along with six children from Betty. Um, Sally was one of those children. Sally had a white half-sister named Martha from his previous marriage, one of his previous marriages. Um, a year before Sally was born, Martha was married to a wealthy man with big, big dreams and ideas. His name was Thomas Jefferson. I already hate where this is going. So it is said that Thomas Jefferson and Martha were deeply in love. Um, so do I need to draw a chart? I feel like you're confused. If you, uh, I'm not confused. So, okay. uh, Sally's half sister married Thomas Jefferson. Yep. Perfect. I'm with you then. Okay. Yep. Um, so shortly after they were married, John Wells passed away. And so Martha quote, inherited his estate as well as Betty and her children. Sally was three years old when she moved to Monticello, which was Thomas Jefferson's property and plantation in Virginia. At age six, it is said that Sally started assisting with child care around the estate. In 1776, Thomas wrote the Declaration of Independence. And in its first draft, Thomas included a portion that called for the abolition of slavery. Mm Mm-hmm. It seemed that he realized that slavery was incompatible with the ideas of the Declaration of Independence. However, um, something that we're going to kind of come back to, like, time and time again throughout this narrative, is that the things that Thomas Jefferson is preaching, he's not following. Yeah. 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 I mean, to still enslave people mm-hmm. and have enslaved people on your property right. while also preaching that slavery is bad. Correct. I see a actual issue. Correct. With Correct. that logic. Yes. So Shea Banks Young, who is a descendant of Sally uh, Hemings, says, quote, Thomas Jefferson was not different than any other man of this time. Yes, he wrote the Declaration of Independence. He said... We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they had the right to property. My people were property, end quote. The Continental Congress ended up denying that portion of the Declaration of Independence, the abolition of slavery portion, Mm -hmm. uh, because it was, quote, too controversial. (sighs) Okay. Martha Jefferson had given birth to five children during their first nine years of marriage. Only two daughters had survived. Um, Martha was exhausted and weak and gave birth to her sixth daughter, Lucy, which I love the name Lucy. Me too. It's so classic. Um, 
but she died shortly after giving birth to Lucy. Um, and on her deathbed, it is said that Martha gave a small bell to nine-year-old Sally Hemings as a gift. It is also said that it was her last wish for Thomas Jefferson never to remarry. Which, like, what a way to go. You're like, never love again. Here's a bell. Here's a bell. Here's well, a bell, child. Yeah. Honey, never love again. Never love again. <laughs> it's so interesting to me, the pieces of these stories that we hear. Mm-hmm. Like, how... I, I wonder how much there is to be known about, you know, her last days on Earth. Girl, you know I'm all about documentation. Girl, I know. So, we're going to get to a a part of that. Okay, so there is more documentation than just, hey, here's a bell, and also honey don't marry again so part of part of this general arc story so there's the documented portion but there's also also the portion that is passed down through oral tradition right so there is an argument with this story and many many others that you know exist for our country as well as everywhere else around the world is that depending on who's writing stuff down that is the history absolutely so while i value documentation and and things being able to be you know looked back upon the oral tradition here is still just as strong yeah so i think that's definitely important to say right who lives who dies who tells our story exactly thomas jefferson was by her side when she passed um and he was absolutely distraught after she died they were like super duper in love um he was generally beside himself um and during this time he was Thomas Jefferson was kind of out of commission due to like what we can assume now is depression mm-hmm. following her death. Um, and during this time, Sally was responsible for raising Patsy, Polly, and Lucy, the three surviving children. Patsy, Polly, and Lucy. Yeah. Cute names. Okay. Patsy. In 1784, Thomas Jefferson accepted a position abroad in France as the American minister. Uh, in Paris. So a lot of people thought that this was his way of distraction. He's like, I have to, I have to get away for a little bit. Yeah. And then David Diggs comes back and the, what uh, did I miss? Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that in a second. Cool. But we're going to Paris right now. Okay. I'm with you. So um, I was just bypassing Paris altogether. <laughs> no, I was Paris like, okay, is important. He's gone to Paris. He comes back, and what did I miss? Right, exactly. No, no, no. We're going to Paris. Okay, good. I'm this ready is for the Paris. Portion that they don't include. It smells like <laughs> urine and cigarettes. <laughs> right. So he took Patsy um, and Sally's older brother James, who was also enslaved. Um, so Sally, Sally, Sally stayed behind for now. Sally continued her primary duty, um, which was, you know, waiting on the two younger daughters, um, basically taking care of them. She couldn't Um, have been much older than them if she was nine when Martha died. Yeah. So she was younger, actually. Uh, I mean, obviously older than Lucy, but younger than Patsy. Okay. Um, So while Jefferson was away, both Polly and Lucy contracted whooping cough, um, and Lucy died at the age of two years old. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, Jefferson's anxiety grew. He really, really felt the need to have his two living daughters close to him. So he did write asking that Polly join him in France. 
because he already had or did i say polly yeah yeah asking that polly would come to france he already had patsy so patsy and polly polly's coming to france he already has patsy um now originally another person was supposed to accompany polly on her visit uh to france however she fell ill so it was then 14 year old sally's responsibility to take her they arrived in london where john adams and his wife met the pair everybody's just everywhere so they're all here (laughs) where's lynn as shitty as they are so originally and ordinarily at this point sally would have been sent back home before like going further than london because her job was to just escort uh, Polly. Polly yeah that as far as that goes and then john adams and his wife were going to take it from there but with thomas jefferson's permission she went on to france oh so france during this time was like a really really cool place to be oh it's still cool i mean whole place paris is awesome yeah paris smells bad fun place to be uh i mean everywhere smelled bad that's true the french revolution happens i think after she's there and like during while she's there and when she goes but she ends up going back okay what are you saying Okay, I'm with you. So the worlds of Lamez and Hamilton are colliding. France during this time was booming. Um, Sally received training in new, like, niche French fashion practices, modern, like, laundering techniques, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but most importantly, there was no slavery in France. Mm-hmm. So while Sally was in France, she was free. Um, and she was paid for any work that she was doing at the time. They would have also been upper class in France at this point. Mm -hmm. So even though there may not have been slavery as it was in the U.S., there were definitely still, like, major class divisions because the French Revolution is, like, on the horizon. True. Exactly. True. Um, But Sally's older brother um, was being trained in French cooking. Um, He was also being paid for this. Um, Patsy during this time turned 17 and began accompanying Thomas Jefferson at social events. Um, and it's probable that Sally may have joined them on occasion as well at these social events, not, um, probably as a participant, but to help, um, Sally, um, to help Patsy. I mean, Patsy, sorry. Yeah. It is notable that when Jefferson purchased new clothes for his daughters, Sally also received new clothes as well. Hmm. Um, So it seems that Sally was developing relationships with the family that wouldn't have otherwise been established um, in Virginia. Because there's opportunities. Um, She did seem to be, um, you know, bonding with the daughters and, and, and everything, but... During this time, it is thought that the relationship between Sally and Thomas Jefferson began to change. And keeping in mind, she is also 14 years old. And the half-sister of his late wife. Correct. Correct. So, she looks like Martha. At least somewhat. A lot. A A lot lot like like Martha? Yes. A lot like Martha. Um... You know, yes, a lot like Martha. So it is, it's definitely weird. It's weird on a lot of different levels. Obviously, she's being enslaved by this person. I'm um, going to go ahead and say I really, really don't like this. Yeah. So later, Sally's son, Madison, would write in his memoirs referring to the time that they were in Paris, quote, 
During that time, my mother became Mr. Jefferson's concubine, end quote. Um, so she already had a son by no, the time. This is this is her future son's future son writing future about son writing previous about. time. OK, I'm with you again. Correct. Yes. So at this point, it's established that a, quote, relationship is now developing, developing, has developed um regardless patsy threatens to convert to catholicism which is enough to send them packing back to virginia <laughs> so i say those are fighting words it is the teachings of cathol um but according to certain accounts sally was already pregnant at the time and she wished to remain in paris which is fucking understandable yeah totes um something that sally had learned in paris was also the art of bargaining so Jefferson convinced James to return to Virginia. Um, but the deal was that he would be free if he stayed long enough to train a replacement at um, Monticello. At Monticello, if he trained them on the art of French cooking. Oh. Sally finally agreed to return as well. She negotiated that her children would be free at the age of 21 if she returned. That's so fucked up. So to be 14 or 15 or however old she is mm -hmm. and having to negotiate these things with a person who has enslaved you, whose family has enslaved your family for generations now Mm -hmm. and to have to be thinking about the future of your children and not just like when the 21 years from now. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're 14, I mean, could she have stayed possibly but everything she knew was back there her brother if her brother her older brother was going to go back yeah i mean we can't we don't know what she was thinking um some people argued that because she had a relationship like an actual like consenting relationship with thomas jefferson that's why she went back because she trusted him but i don't i accept think that and Given our conversation earlier, let me know if this is too Mm -hmm. deep in the woods. But I think consenting is a really strong word given her age and what we know about like brain development. She it's not possible for her to consent. Also, the power dynamics for sure, the racial implication, like Mm -hmm. everything about this screams. There's no way for this to have been a consensual relationship for sure at this time. Absolutely. And we're going to kind of we're going to kind of cross that bridge here a little bit. Um, so after she returned home, she did give birth to a child. However, it died shortly after birth. And um, it's important to note that Jefferson did not record the birth of this child. This information comes from Sally's future son's memoirs years later. Is this the same son? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. You said his name is Madison? Yes. So Madison ends up doing kind of like an expose in a uh, Virginia newspaper who were doing articles uh, based on people who were previously enslaved in the area. Okay. So he basically told his whole life story about his family. Um, wow. Mm-hmm. So there, there's that oral tradition, which is written mm-hmm. down later. Um, but Jefferson returns... To Virginia, but leaves again very soon to do the whole Secretary of State thing, which we may remember from the musical Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does divide his time between New York and Virginia. 
1795, Sally becomes pregnant again during a time where Jefferson was at home in Monticello. Um, but this daughter also died at age two. So, and I think that's just like tragic. It's so sad. People, it's just the times, right? Just yeah. the medical yeah. um, experience wasn't there. And I was listening to NPR the other day, and they were talking about how um, the average life expectancy has changed from like this time, which would have, I mean, maybe 40 was mm-hmm. like the average life. I don't know exactly sure. what it was, but we're going to assume it's 40. Currently, it's like. <laughs> late 70s early 80s soon to be 150 but it's not that people weren't living as long it's that more children died so now children are surviving but like the average age that people could live to if they survive childhood hasn't changed that much which i thought more likely to to die as an infant yeah and if you made it past infancy you were pretty much good to go yeah so the average age would have been more in the middle because so many children died but now that there are so many children who are, are continuing to grow into adulthood it seems as though people are living longer that's not necessarily the case which i thought was really uh a unique per- I mean it's not unique it's a scientific perspective that I'd never considered absolutely I mean give I mean it makes sense think about childbirth in general yeah and how risky that is absolutely all the complications that exist with that so that is so interesting yeah In 1796, Thomas Jefferson ran for president but lost to John Adams and became the vice president. Which was a rule at the time. Which was a rule at the time. I learned that from Hamilton. Yep. Yep. Well, I knew that before, but it's also, it is interesting. Yeah. And then they changed the rules. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson changed the rules. He did. Um, But him and Adams did not get along. So in 1798, Sally gave birth to her first recorded, quote, recorded son. Um, a pattern began to emerge with her children that coincidentally Sally became pregnant with all of her six children, six children being documented uh, by Jefferson. Okay. Um, while she was, while he was at home in Monticello. So all of these six children were conceived while he was at home. Duh. Right. I mean, we know that now. But this was would have been a scandal at the time. Is is that what you're telling me? What I'm saying is that, and, and we're going to cross that bridge in a second, but it's important to note that all of her six children were conceived when he was, in fact, in Monticello. So is this to highlight, because he wasn't claiming them as his own. Correct. However, the pattern would suggest otherwise. Is that what exactly. we're saying? Okay. Okay. I'm exactly. caught back up. I forgot for a He's moment. He's the dad. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I was trying to figure out. He's the dad. I you assume are the was, father. Okay. Yeah. We don't need Maury to get involved and to tell us who we the father do is. Although we do. Please be a guest. Um, so during this time, Sally's duties changed within the home. Um, she is now responsible for less at the Monticello estate um, taking care of Jefferson's chambers, watching over the children, and doing some light sewing uh, were now her current day-to-day duties. Mm-hmm. Um, Patsy was in charge of running Monticello while her father was away. 
And remember that Patsy is the daughter of Sally's sister, making Patsy her niece. So being bossed around by your own niece obviously is super fucking shitty. Yeah. Um, so there are three opinions just across the board on the relationship between um, Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson. All three are encompassed in these three separate quotes, which are from either Sally Hemings descendants or um, historians. Okay. So the first quote is, quote, um, he had an unexpected bonus. He had Martha's half-sister. Now having someone who is beautiful, has a spirited personality, an essence of this woman that you love, but also someone that you own gives you a situation where you can have your cake and eat it too. End quote. Okay. Yep. Lots of feelings. Quote number two. Quote, he didn't have to be faithful. And we have heard of no other women during this tenure that occupied his interest, at least publicly. So we believe that he was fascinated with her. End quote. Meaning he loved her. Or he was fascinated with her. I actually don't hate the descriptor of being fascinated with her versus loving her because I think to love somebody, you need to be able to respect their autonomy. No, I agree with that. We'll get to other sources which say there possibly was a relationship. At this point, realistically, we don't know. Um, I'm going on the record as obviously saying I don't believe that there was um i think it's a power dynamic situation yeah um but this is a a good next quote okay quote um they were together longer than some marriages exist and yes i know she was a slave but i also know that slaves did fall in love sometimes with their masters to say that there could be no feelings is to say that someone who is enslaved is not lovable To say that there couldn't have been feelings on the part of Sally also says that slaves could not be loved, end quote. She's 14. She's 14. He is not. Is an old ass man Mm -hmm. who was married to her sister and is infatuated with her because she's pretty and looks like her sister. Mm -hmm. Like that does. There's no ability for her to consent here. Right. And, and, and yes, I agree. We're going to get to other sources that say, and again, this is the 1700s, so obviously people at the time probably wouldn't agree with us, um, but we can look at this um, as more holistically educated, I don't even know, fucking moral I think we have the ability to look at this both from a historical lens and also from a contemporary lens. So what would have been the perspective then versus our perspective and understanding now? Mm-hmm. Um, because with his entitlement, I don't know that he ever perceived himself to be doing anything wrong. Well, and that's the fucking thing. How can you possibly be preaching, you know, this anti-slavery rhetoric and yet still um, actively have slave people yeah. in your fucking home? Yeah slavery made this man possible and he is obviously refusing to see that or accept that yeah jefferson had hired a journalist named james calendar to write landerous letters and articles about people in political opposition of jefferson particularly john adams 
Under the Sedition Act, it was illegal to write criticism of government officials, which I didn't know about. So Calendar ended up in jail. Jefferson did beat Adams and Burr Mm -hmm. uh, for presidency, thanks to Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Calendar became... um, and Calendar comes back after spending a whole year in jail and says to Thomas Jefferson, hey, I did this favor for you. Right. You know, I'd like to be um, the postmaster of Virginia. I'd also like you to pay these fines I've accrued doing work for you. And Jefferson basically is like, nah, nah, I'm kind of done with you. Thanks, you know? but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. Um, so... Basically, Calendar spends the next year, like, stewing on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes on to write an article in a Virginia newspaper laying out Jefferson's relationship with Sally Hemings um, and her children. And this happened in 1802. The story wasn't that he had slept with Sally. That wasn't the argument. Um, unfortunately, relationships like that, quote, relationship relations like that right. happened all the time. Um, or even that she had children by him. Um, the scandal of the situation was that he treated her with respect and appeared to love her. So Jefferson never denied his relationship or fathering children by Sally, but he also never, even internally, and this goes back to the oral traditions, it's never been documented he's ever accepted any of her children. Mm. So he's staying fucking Switzerland on this whole situation. Totally neutral. Um, And basically, he never says anything. It all blows over. And in fact, he won his re-election by a landslide. Sally gave birth at 35 to a boy and two years later to another boy. Um, Jefferson was in his mid-60s at this time. In in 1809, Thomas Jefferson returned to Monticello for good. He was done with his presidential stuff. So in 1822, Beverly and Harriet, both uh, Sally's oldest children, were allowed to leave the plantation. Quote, both passed as white and later married and lived in white society within the United States. Wow. Um, So after Thomas Jefferson died, he freed five out of 130 slaves. All of them, the Hemings family. All, All five of them were in the Hemings family. Three were older men and two were Madison and Esten, who were the sons of Sally. Quote, Not only did he free these men, he also made a petition to the legislator of Virginia. The rule at the time was that if you were a freed slave and lived in Virginia past a year, you could become enslaved again, end quote. The petition was granted and they stayed and lived in Virginia. Unlike their sisters who chose to identify as white, her sons identified as black men. Sally wasn't freed in his will. Instead, Jefferson had instructed his daughter to free Sally after he died, which is so fucking weird. That's fucked up. So he's keeping her out of documentation. Yeah. He's like, it's just coincidence that all these people are belong to the same family, but I'm not going to name her in my will. Just, daughter, you handle this after I'm dead. 
That's so fucked up. Like, yep. when you're dead, what do you have to lose? Right. So they... Um, Sally and her two sons moved to Charlottesville, Virginia, and lived uh, out the rest of their days. In the end, when Thomas Jefferson died, he had owned over 600 slaves in his lifetime. In 1998, DNA testing was done to distant relatives of Sally Hemings, and sure enough, it concluded that they were descendants of Thomas Jefferson. Of course they were. Of course they were. So a huge community is building of both black and white descendants of Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings from that exact bloodline um, who always knew the truth all along and passed down these traditions through oral traditions. And this is just a clip, just a snippet of the story of Sally Hemings. There's so much to unpack in that story. Like, we are talking about the rights of people. We're talking about people who have been enslaved for generations, founding fathers, French Revolution happening, the American uh, Revolution. The American Revolution had already happened, but yeah. yeah. Um, like, there's just so much going on at this time. Yeah. And it's a story that I've heard um especially recently i recently was uh probably listening to npr because what else are we going to do when (laughs) we drive um and i think they had interviewed one of the descendants so i had some context for this i just don't know that we can really do a full deep dive in a podcast like oh for sure you could do an entire season of a podcast on just this one story and how tragic it is it is and you know the i think the least of the things to discuss is whether they were together or not because it doesn't really fucking matter in the end yeah um but that was a huge narrative like a huge point of discussion but really, I mean, obviously, it, it's very tragic. Um, but I think the at, at this point now, it's understanding that there are, um, that families tree grow up and way over than we may even understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's a huge community that is now surrounding um, Thomas Jefferson and his lineage that is of both white and african-american ancestry wow all right so let's talk intersections okay i think the most obvious one is the time period like um my guy and uh rudolph Virchow is about to publish his work about the cellular basis of pathology which changes the way that we think about humorism and think about this whole health um, connection. And that happened in 1858. So just thinking about the ways that people are shifting their perspectives, Mm -hmm. I think is important. And just the way that things evolve over time. So Mm -hmm. we know that the both of the concepts discussed in both of our topics from a modern perspective are wrong. Yeah, yours is morally and ethically wrong. Mm-hmm. Mine is scientifically wrong. Correct. So, the fact that things change and evolve. Hashtag and, the theory of evolution. 
um, I, I would think is a huge intersection. I agree. And I think that people's ability to adapt and accept new ideas is important. Like, um, mm-hmm. people didn't change their opinions about health overnight. Mm-hmm. People haven't changed their opinions about slavery over the past how many hundred years? Fuck. Um, I mean, there's still modern day slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I think that the willingness to learn and continue to grow and seek new understanding is mm-hmm. important. And what I hope for the future for all of us. Yeah. Five, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. That was a short little intersection, but I feel like we kind of just hit the nail on the head at the first shot there. I think so, too. Also, just to reiterate, um, on our Patreon, we are offering at a certain tier that you are able to pick our topics. If there's anything that you're absolutely dying for us to intersect together, definitely jump on there and let us know. So next Saturday, we are going to be in Nashville, Tennessee for pod prom. So definitely look on our Instagram page for details regarding that. Hopefully you guys can uh, come out and talk to us. We would love to meet you. Yep. If you have not left us a five-star review, what the actual fuck are you doing? Only leave us a five-star, or only leave us a review if you really liked us. If not, you can forget that part. Like, just move on. (laughs) Uh, Go about your day. (laughs) But we are still giving out magnets and stickers to people who give us fantastic reviews on uh, iTunes. Um... They're so fun to read. I love them so much. Yeah. Um, we have a great time with them. So fun. We also love when you reach out to us on Instagram. Like, it's mm-hmm. such a fun surprise every time. Yep. It's super sweet. We love yeah. it. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at pod without an odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook or find us on the web at podcast without an audience.com. Shoot us an email at pod without an odd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.